You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at 384 1450. Texas, the prairie sky is wide and high. Deep in the heart of Welcome, Texas, sports fans. It's the Weekend Sports Buzz with Mike Gandolfo, and I'm joined in studio today. By a former Kentucky football player, Anthony Thornton. Anthony, what's going on? Much Mike with me. I, uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about today. I don't. I don't think there's a whole lot we can really cover. It's a kind of you know dead ball, dead day in college basketball. I just I don't know. Don't know what's going on. Well, I think UK plays again January eighth. <laughs> there it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and of course, you know we're, we're just joking just a little bit. Uh, if you want to join in the uh, sports talk today, Oxmoor Four Lincoln Buzzline three eight four fourteen fifty. Uh, we uh, obviously have a big story to talk about that's going down right now. Uh, Charlie Strong is meeting with his assistant coaches at uh, Papa John's Cardinal Stadium, uh, most likely telling him that he has accepted the job to become the head coach at the University of Texas. I've sat in that meeting twice, hearing from head coaches that they were leaving us. What's that like? You know, you, you hope you would actually know before the meeting, but there was a lot of times we rushed straight from class told me they had a meeting the you know that morning that we had to be have a meeting in the afternoon and that was it we showed up assumed that that could be it but there was times we didn't really know that was the case so that was guy morris and uh and and mummy, mummy. so uh the, the mummy one did you all just kind of know that that was gonna you know most likely be the case you know it was really funny the last uh last team meeting that we had that we went into position meetings and we uh you know, Claude Bassett was actually my coach, and he's the one responsible for a lot of the stuff that went on, or at least he was the fall guy. And he uh, he had some hints to us in uh, some crazy ways, just kind of saying things about our futures and what he wanted us to do and things like that. But we didn't know what was going on. None of us knew that, that uh, he'd been breaking rules and everything else and that they were probably on their way out. It was quiet at that point. We just thought that we had a bad season. They weren't going to fire him after going to the bowls. None of us really knew. I was a freshman. I had no way of knowing all the details of what was going on. So as a, as a guy who gets recruited by these guys and you come in and then all of a sudden this coach is gone, is there like a whole uh, series of emotions you go through? Like at first you're kind of mad that this guy's leaving and then you kind of accept it? Or, I mean, you know, or how many of these guys are really tied to this coach or at that point are they pretty much tied to the university and they're going to stick around? I think it depends on your situation. A lot of those guys – the way I remember it, there was a lot of them that were tied to these coaches. They thought that was the only way they were going to play college football was going to play for those guys. They're the ones that believed in them. They're the ones that want them to play. Then you had other guys that they got passed over for a job, maybe had a bad game once or twice and a bad fumble. They thought this was their opportunity to step back up and get back into the rotation. So, so it was a good thing. Oh, there's a lot of guys that have different feelings. Yeah. So it's just going to be interesting to see. Of course, this is not a team meeting. He's not meeting with the players. He's meeting with his uh, assistant coaches and uh, like I said, presumably telling them that he has accepted the job to become the Texas head coach. Five years, $25 million. And I don't know for sure. I, I like Charlie Strong as a person. I think as a character guy, he's unbelievable. He's, uh, you know, he's shown a lot of loyalty to the University of Louisville in the past, probably more than he really needed to. Gave the University of Louisville a lot. I don't know if he's worth a, if he's a five million dollars a year coach. If he's a what was he number three now as far as the highest paid coaches in America? He's number ten right now. Number ten. I'm sorry, with five million a year. 
Uh, well, no, I mean, it, it's current Louisville is putting him 10th. But uh, this would drop him. Mac Brown was second. This would put him at number four or three, depending on what the package is. What people <laughs> don't understand, though, and this is what I always heard with Lou Holtz. When he was at Arkansas, he made more money at Arkansas than he did at other programs. And it was because at these big programs, it's not just your salary. It's not just your bonuses. You get, you get opportunities outside of football. Um, Lou Holtz is one of, the, one of the owners of the largest media conglomeration that handles all of the Arkansas sports rights. So he, he's collecting money off something that he did a long time 30 ago. 30 years ago. So there could be like a percentage of the Longhorn Network, for example. You it, know? It, it's, I, d- I doubt that that's tied in, but as the university, they have rights to that. They have ways that they siphon that money off. And, of They're, course, they have no property tax or no income, state income tax in Texas. He's, he's going to come out looking great. Now, granted, the, the Tennessee job last year, I mean, Butch Jones is in the top five co- high, highest-paid coaches in the country. So, you know, Charlie Strong could have done that last year for whatever reason he decided not to, and I'm assuming that was loyalty, like you said. Well, I think Texas is a better job than Tennessee. I mean, just from the recruiting base standpoint, I, th- I think Texas has got more. Tennessee's going to have as many resources as most schools in the country, but Texas is probably just a notch above. And, uh, you know, Tennessee, in my estimation, got comfortable feeling like the school could kind of recruit itself. And uh, they just they don't have the talent base within the 200-mile radius of the school that you really need where Texas can – only stay in that 200-mile radius. You hit the nail on the head about Tennessee. They, they, got, they became dependent on out-of-state recruiting. You can only depend on out-of-state recruiting for so long. You have to have a base, or you're going to have to shrink your base. They didn't want to do that. They still wanted to recruit California guys, and they thought the name would bring everyone there. And, and they spend more money than any other team in the country. Recruiting-wise. He's, recruit, he's not going to have to do that at Texas. No, he is going to be uh, – he's going he's to be able to – you know, of course, though, then you got this standpoint that he doesn't have – any kind of Texas recruiting history. He doesn't have any roots there. I mean, all his roots are in the Florida. I mean, and if he brings kids from Florida and mix the speed of the Florida kids with the, with the athleticism and the strength of the Texas kids, it could be pretty dangerous. But he's got, he's got to have somebody that can recruit Texas. Well, here's, here's what will happen. And, and this is how I th- why I think if they go with him, and this is still an if, but if they go with him, the reason that they're thinking is we have been stagnant on Texas. They're recruiting 20 out of 25 players every year from Texas. The other ones are from Oklahoma. He does come from Arkansas. He That's played, true. He played yeah. at Central Arkansas. He was actually a graduate assistant at Texas A&M. He has some ties there. Maybe they were 15 years ago, but he has some ties. Now, what's going to happen is he can, go to the, he can do the same thing that USC does. USC recruits their base in California, but they go out and get kids from New Jersey. From Florida, they came into Louisville and got, or well, to Kentucky and got Dawson. Right. I mean, they're getting these kids. They they handpick probably I'm going to say 20, 25 kids that they want to go after, and if they get five of them, that's what they want. They want to fill their recruiting out with the best of the best. Where Texas right now, you look at their recruiting every beginning of every year, they've already got 23 players committed before the season ever starts. Yeah. They've decided after the junior year who they want, and that leaves doesn't leave them a whole lot of leeway to make changes. It's uh, it's it's just gonna be really, really funny and to see how this whole thing plays out to me because, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, I do think that uh, Charlie's a high integrity guy, but this whole thing kind of went down, in not the most uh, on board way, you know, without getting they they interviewed Charlie Strong without getting permission from Church, 
Louisville's really been left in the dark through this whole thing. Up to last night, when they looked like they met maybe like 1230 at night with uh, Jurich and and Dr. Ramsey, uh, there was, you know, Louisville had not heard anything from Charlie Strong or from Texas. It's uh, it's just kind of, it's kind of weird that it was handled in that fashion. You know, I, I think that comes back to when you, I don't like ADs that bring in search committees. Because I think the search committees, they know how to go out and search, but they don't know, they don't follow the etiquette. They, the first thing a search committee does is go all around and start asking, well, you know this guy, can you talk to him for me? You know this guy, can you talk to him for me? They're not bringing in personal relationships. They're going outside of the system, and they're trying to find the best way that's going to make them happy. Right. That's the same thing. That's how Patterson got his job at Texas A&M. It's the same search committee. So he had relationships with them. You know, fault him, fault him however you want. When Mitch Barnhart went out and got stoops, it was done in a very – on board quiet, way. A very quiet way. Right. A, a lot of fans were getting upset because they didn't know what was going on. Well, that's he wanted that. He didn't want it to get out. He didn't want to hurt his negotiating with one assistant because another's, another assistant somewhere else wanted to get paid and throw their name in there. So he kept that out of the loop. How many coaches are going to get bigger paydays because of this job search? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be huge to see what the impact is. And, uh, you know, whether or not he's a good fit, you know, time will tell. I don't think he's a good fit. You know, I feel – I posted this on Facebook, and when I make this comparison, I know that we're not talking about the same quality of individual here, so don't read into that. This is like Kentucky hiring Billy Gillespie without the drinking problem, all right? because Charlie wants to coach football. And at Louisville, he could coach football, and that's all he really had to do, and do a couple appearances here and there. I don't know if the, the media relations, the charisma, the really be the face of a huge program like Texas – is something that Charlie wants to take on. Because now it becomes a, a whole bunch more, just ask Cal Perry, than just coaching your program. I mean, that almost is half your time. The other half is going out there and, you know, in some ways, I mean, I think this way about Cal, Charlie's going to become the chief fundraising person for Texas. And I don't know if he's really built that way. You know, it, when he was at Florida, I had heard the rumor when he got the Louisville coaching job, and I was excited for him because I played against him. He was known as a heck of a coach, and I thought he was a great fit for Louisville. But my understanding was that he never really called the plays. He was always a co-defensive coordinator, whether title or not. He was not the primary play caller or the primary game planner. He was somebody that was so good that they had to continue to move him up, and there's only somewhere you can put somebody like that. Right. Because you have to keep them happy to keep them on that staff, keep them recruiting. So I'm not sure that the defense, other than the concept of what defense he wants to run, he's doing that. But outside of that, I don't think he's ever been calling the plays, really, from my understanding. So this could be a good fit for him if he gets the right assistance. Right coordinators is huge. Mac Brown didn't, he didn't put himself into the game other than when to call a timeout, when to go for it. Those decisions he made. Other than that, like you said, he's fundraising, and that is huge at Texas. Right. It's going to be... Seventy percent of his job. He's going to be going from you know event to event, and uh, the free time, all that stuff is is just going to be very, it's going to be very limited. I just it's it's really going to be interesting to see how how big of a fit that is because I I just think he's not going to he's not going to want to cooperate with that. Well, and you said it you said it right. The coordinators, he's got to have somebody he trusts in place to run those each side of the ball. Because he's not going to be – it's like Cal right now. He has coaches that coach practices while he's gone doing the things he has right. to be recruiting. 
that's not really the way most football practices work. Normally the head coach is walking around the entire time and involved. Right. Uh, now I always heard st- stories of Bowden used to sit up in the perch up top and take naps during practice. But look at the coordinators he put out. He right. put out Mark Richt. I mean, it, these guys, he has a huge list of phenomenal assistants that have gone on to be very successful. Is Charlie going to have those type of assistants? If he doesn't, it's it's a waste. Yeah, so it'd be real interesting to see who he takes. You know, if he tries to, who he tries to take out those Louisville staff. I mean, I do not think that uh, Clint Hurt will be going. Uh, actually, I guess he really can't go with his uh, with his show cause. I, I've got to think that this is the end of Clint Hurt. I mean, he's he's done. Um, so it's just going to be real interesting to see how all that stuff shakes out. And it looks like the year of a cardinal might have come to an end. So <laughs> the ball dropped on that. The ball dropped on December twenty eighth when uh, the Cats. Beat Louisville uh, in the in the basketball game. Then Louisville came out and had a very very impressive showing in the uh, bowl game against Miami. Although a depleted, injured Miami team who's not been the same since they lost Duke Johnson. And uh, you know that that win right there, that impressive win, probably turned some heads of Texas fans and saw that Charlie Strong has been like twenty three and three in the last two years. And uh, despite you know really having a, a questionable schedule, they do have a big win against Florida. And uh, I guess that was enough. But uh, I'm I'm still shocked that that was enough. I really felt like uh, this would have gone on a couple more days as they made a run at Jimbo Fisher. Um, I honestly believe what happened was they let Alabama lose. He took another – Texas took one last kind of run at, Al, at, at Saban just to see if there was a chance. And uh, when that didn't happen, they had to go get the best possible person. And it was down to James Franklin – and Charlie Strong, and uh, I don't know. I, Franklin, to me, has got a whole lot more personality and charisma for the job. So, I think, I, I do think that they did take another shot at Saban. I also think they that search committee went about it such the wrong way that they got ahead of themselves on some coaches, got them out in the media when they wanted to keep it quiet. Jim Moore is an example of that. I, I think Jim Moore had more interest in the job than he let out, but because they – rushed his name out there before anything happened. It it he just said no. Yeah, he, the he whole did. thing was saving like blew up in early December. Yeah. I mean that just or around Thanksgiving actually, I guess. And you know, that kind of I guess put saving down into a hole. Uh well, what do you think about the whole Franklin versus Charlie Strong thing? I think Franklin it must be a phenomenal head coach. Now I know he caught the SEC at a at a, a goofy time when there was a couple teams that had down years, namely Tennessee um, you know, you can we can say te- we can say Kentucky was down uh, after the five bowl games. Granted, we were down a year before he was there, but still, he came in at a good time, got some big wins. Ole Miss is on their way back up. They they capitalized on them being down. So I, I don't know that the James Franklin train or bus or whatever you want to call it is really going to continue to carry on with nine wins like that. But I think he's a phenomenal coach. You think he's gone going somewhere too? I've got to think that he's going to have to. Uh, you can only, it, it, you know, Stanford is a little bit different, same philosophy of job, but they've got the California recruiting base. He doesn't have that base in Tennessee. He doesn't have the, the ability to go get the big players other than taking the Duke philosophy, which is what they've done, and go after the ones who are smarter and, and try to appeal to that side of them. But I, I think that he's going to be looking at the same thing that Kentucky's trying to do, which is floating around that six to eight win range and the nine wins are going to be over if he doesn't take a job now 
he may not ever get back to that level of offers that he's going to have. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what works out. And uh, you know, speaking of Duke, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the the other bowl games that have happened this week a little bit later in the show. We're going to talk about the big week for Kentucky football, the big weekend that is. Um, talk, touch on some college basketball, talk a little NFL playoffs. Uh, but this is Mike Gandolfo. We'll be right back on the Weekend Sports Buzz. Deep in the heart of Texas, the sage in bloom is like perfume. Deep in the heart of Texas, reminds me of the one I love. Deep in the heart of Texas. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All my exes live in Texas. Welcome back, sports fans. Mike and Dobble here with Texas Anthony Thornton. Weekend Sports Buzz. You can call us, join in the conversation, 384-1450 on the Oxmoor Ford. Lincoln Buzz Line, Oxmoor Ford service, free shuttle service with a clean, comfortable customer lounge. Free Wi-Fi, big screens, business center, and friendly people. And uh, if you can't listen to us live on the air in your radio station, make sure you download our app, or you can stream us on live, uh, stream us live on the uh, on the internet at 1450thesportsbuzz.com. And uh, we'd love for you to be part of the show. Three eight four fourteen fifty. It looks like we have uh, some some kind of uh, information coming out of the uh, the coaches meeting. Uh, Jason Higdon is breaking that Charlie Strong has informed his staff. A decision has not been reached. I don't feel like we have this meeting last night and this meeting today if there's not at least the framework of a decision uh, in, in place. He's not meeting with Dr. Ramsey at 12.30 last night and his staff at 9 o'clock this morning to say, hey, I'm staying. You don't think they just wanted to have a good breakfast? Uh, you know, brunch. Waffle you know, House. They could have done that. 12.30 last night. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just, uh, and and maybe he's having a, char- a change of heart. Um but I don't know. I just I can't imagine that it's not just finishing out the last couple of details of of what's going on. I think that's got to be it. Yeah. Uh, now whether the offer was a offer in good faith before, and now he's being talked out of leaving by them. That's very possible. And it's you know everybody's gonna have those second thoughts. It wouldn't surprise me that they're trying to tell him to please hold on, let us see if we can come up with extra money kind of thing. And and the the loyalty, go back to it again. He's got loyalty here. He does have loyalty. I mean, the two best sources I've ever talked to that are close with him and Louisville Boosters and everything else, they have both said that what kept him here in the past has been his daughters. They're volleyball players. At Mercy. At Mercy and at uh, Mid-America. And they, uh, they don't want to leave here or didn't want to leave here. And he, at a one point, told them they would not have to leave until after they were both uh, in new schools, and that was his plan. Whether that's whether that was true or not, I, I can't verify that. But that's that's what I've always been told has kept him here. I'd be very surprised, though. I mean, I, the, if Jurch tries to come up and match that five million dollar price tag, I, you know, I I don't know. I just I think Jurch is a is a value guy. He makes a smart business decision. I think he's kind of gone to his limits. On what he would uh, would extend uh, Charlie Strong's contract to, and at some point he's got to say, "Hey, you know what? This is uh, 
it's probably best for you to do, to do this, and we'll have to move on and find someone else to lead us into the ACC, and whether that's uh, Sean Watson or whoever it is, um, you know, it's probably, I don't know, I just don't think it's in Louisville's best interest to try to match a $5 million deal. No, because they can't match it, even if they can match the money. They can't match the can't. They can't the, match everything else. Yeah, they can't match all the other resources. So Although can, Louisville's got great resources. They do. I and, mean, And the last, the turnaround that they've done there on the stadium, the indoor, everything else, granted they get they have a lot of corporate fans, a lot of corporate sponsors that, that drive the program rather than a raving fan base that Texas has. It, it's, it's hard to compare the two. But there's just if the loyalty isn't there to him, if that's not what's keeping him here, nothing's going to. Yeah, I, I mean, if and if he does pass up Texas to stay here, he's here for good. You gotta think he's here <laughs> for good, and that's that's good for uh, for loyal fans. But I, you know, I just don't see it. Um, I just don't see that Charlie Strong's passing this one up with all the same with all the meetings um, that have gone on, and of course, a lot of being made too that he met with the staff and did not meet with the uh, players, the players probably aren't even in school. I mean, they're not even, they're not even on campus. So there's a lot of them that'll come back right after two years. Right. Start working out again, things like that. But the entire team is not together. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's not this, you know, school's not in session. It's not like, uh, it's easy to call a team meeting and get everybody there. I mean, there are probably several kids that are a couple thousand miles away and, uh, getting them in town is pretty, pretty tough. So, uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see if uh, this how this whole thing shakes out. I, we might not know anything today. It looks like now. I thought we would have known something already by now, but uh, now maybe Louisville's trying to make a last ditch effort to keep him. Um, I don't know, uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens because it's, you know it's still coming out that Charlie's not made a decision yet. But uh, you know, some people are speculating that has something to do with Clint Hurt, and some people. Uh, are speculating that you know there's just more details that have to be done, or Charlie's having a little change of heart. I don't know. We'll have to find out what happens. Uh, but let's kind of go through the last week uh, here locally in sports. So we had a, a pretty big basketball game last Saturday. Uh, I was very impressed. I, I know you're a huge Kentucky fan. Um, I was very impressed that the Cats were able to lose Julius Randle, lose the lead, and still come together and win that game. I, I thought that it, that Cal did an unbelievably good job of uh, keeping those guys together. The Harrison Twins stepped up. Alex Poitras stepped up. James Young was was unbelievable. Willie Colley-Stein didn't score a whole lot, but he was still very important to how the game was played and affected the game down low. The main thing was Kentucky's length. I, think, I don't think Louisville handled Kentucky's length very well. And then as soon as that game's over, we get the news that Shane Bahannon is gone, and I think that pretty much, I, you know, Louisville can still have a really good season. I think that pr- pretty much eliminates them from any chance at a national title. I think that game showed a lot of their flaws, and I've been a, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge UK fan. There's no hiding that. There's, you know, I'm at the games. There's, there's no way I can say that I'm not. But what I saw is the same thing that I heard echoed by some other people, and I, I looked over at my wife during the game and said, this team inside – they just they can't compete with UK. And, and for Shane Bahannon to be playing, and then for them to, and I can't pronounce his name, but the kid that was suspended. Akoya Gal. Yeah, he was suspended for this game, supposedly, and in the future, and suddenly comes in at the end of the half when all their big men are in foul trouble. Right. There's no doubt that 
that's the weakest point of their of their team. They have phenomenal guards. I, I was impressed with Chris Jones because I I thought that he was going to be nowhere near as good as he is, and I thought we were going to be able to take advantage of them in more ways than we did. There's no doubt that those two guards are very good, and I think Rozier can get there. He's not yet, but I think he I think he's going to be a good player too. I think he's going to be an excellent player for them. Yeah. But they were severely outmatched at the three, four, and five. And and well, even that though, I I even think the length at the uh, at the guard positions hurt them a lot too because what you saw is Chris Jones and Russ had very good games, but it showed that they had to really work for what they got later in the game, and they were missing some of the things they were making early on. They were they were tired, and uh, I I I was just totally impressed that when Randall has the first half that he had, where he misses. A three-pointer and a free throw, and that's it. Has 17 points in the first half, and then starts cramping up where he can't play. Pretty much, he played a little bit in the second half. Didn't I? Don't even think he took a shot. He came back in at one point, started the second half, then came back in at one point for about 20 seconds. Right, and that was it. He can you? He just collapsed. He couldn't do anything. So to see him, to to have those young players supposedly that we have watch their leader go out of the ball game and to respond the way they did. It's a whole lot more to me than just beating Louisville. Like it, it shows to me that Kentucky might be taking that next step uh, to where they need to do to make a run. And I think this team can still make a run. I agree. I think what we saw a lot was the versatility finally actually show up in the game. We've talked about the versatility in the past about you know, all these players can switch onto the same onto different positions. All these players have the length to create mismatches, but this was the first time that. They took it and they spread the court and they really used those mismatches. You know, this was going back to AAU ball for James Young and the tw- and the Harrison twins. They got to spread the court. They didn't have Julius Randle on the block demanding the ball, and rightfully so, he deserves to get the ball down there. But they could they could drive, use their strength, body the other guard off, kick the ball out, or redrive again. And I think that made a huge difference in their comfort level. They were able to go back to that a lot quicker versus some of the things that they're trying to learn how to play right now. Just real quick, uh, Pat Forty just tweeted out that he's told that there's one stumbling block keeping Strong to Texas from happening, uh, and they may get it resolved, but not yet. An offer is there, but not formally accepted until that one stumbling block, whatever it may be, is uh, is it, rectified. Is it Clint Hurt? I don't know. If that's it, I mean, uh, I don't know how all that stuff works. I'm not, I'm not well-versed enough to know what this show costs – how that whole thing affects. But Texas has to prove to some way that for Clint Hurt to come, right? I mean, they have, they have to do, it's a whole lot more than just hiring an assistant coach. And uh, I heard that that was one of the stumbling blocks with the Tennessee job. That was all hearsay. Who knows if that's the truth or not, that Tennessee in no way, shape, or form wanted anything to do with Clint Hurt. And uh, I don't know. Again, I just – who knows if that's the one stumbling block or not. Um it's gonna it's gonna be very interesting to see what comes out over the next twenty four hours. Um, but but back to the basketball situation and let's you know Shane Bahannon obviously on Monday gets kicked off Loyal's team and this time it looks like it's for good. He's he's left. He's gone to Houston to be with John Lucas, which you know one could speculate then what kind of issues he did have uh, if he's going to see John Lucas, uh, who also helped out Billy Gillespie. Uh, when he was dealing with some substance issues. Um, Shane is a guy that I know. I actually just saw him probably about three or four weeks ago at a Bellman game. He, great kid. 
I mean, I mean, everyone says that, I know. but Everyone says it. He is a great one-on-one, a great guy to talk to and just to kind of be around. And I feel bad that this guy's, you know, loyal career is coming to such an end when, you know, at the end of last year you were thinking that he just needed to kind of come out and have a, a decent season. He was probably going to go to the NBA, not be a high pick, but, you know, at least be a second-round pick. Comes out pretty much nothing this year. I mean, he's been really down. Lots of trouble surrounding him, and now he's gone. And it's just uh, – it's really unfortunate to see that happen. But Louisville's in trouble down low. I mean, right now they got to – teams have to game plan for Montrez Harrell down low, and that's it. And it's, uh, it's going to be tough for them to beat anybody who has any sort of length whatsoever. I think you're going to – see the return of Patino's Bombinos. It very well could be. That's I mean, gonna be they're going to have to spread it and go 4-1. and one. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see too many ways around that. Now, that may end up working out more in their favor, playing that as now it would be the Villanova-type offense. I mean, it, it, it could be something that Russ Smith and Chris Jones truly thrive in, especially if the guys knock down their shots. It's, and, you know, and that could really work with this UofL team. I mean, you just mentioned that they, they got you know Jones and and Smith, but if they put Jones, Smith, Luke Hancock, Wayne Blackshear out if there, if he's hitting, and Hancock's got to come back, he's got it. He's got to come back. But or Rogier, if it's Rogier, I mean, they got Anton Gill is not a guy who's been playing a lot, but he's one of the best shooters on that team. Uh, just has not been able to defend the way Patino wants him to defend. They throw those you know four perimeter guys out there around Montrez. And just tell Montrez that every time, and this is the issue though, Montrez is not a good offensive rebounder. And he's not really all that great of a rebounder to begin with. But if, if Montrez could get in the mindset, because he's an unbelievable athlete, that every missed shot is a pass to him, and just get him to go attack those offensive boards like crazy, um, it would be interesting to see how that would work out. I mean, obviously, Patino beat an unbelievably good LSU team with Shaquille O'Neal and Chris Jackson and Stanley uh, Roberts um, with that philosophy, you know, just – Jack it up. 6'10 guys like Bacardi that can shoot. You space teams out. And I don't. I think they could shoot over 30, uh, 33% from three-point range where it would make it worth it. I mean, 30, shooting 33% from three-point range is like shooting 50% from two. So. I mean, if they clear 30. Yeah. If they clear 30 and create turnovers, that's that's all you need to be able to survive, and, and they can create the turnovers. There's I just don't no know if you can win it all that way, though. Villanova made it deep, but they, they didn't win it that way. Um, same thing with Kentucky when they were playing like that. They made it deep, but they couldn't win it either. I, you know, the rebounding gets too too many too few possessions in the NCAA tournament. The possessions shrink down, and that's when you shrink possessions in the NCAA tournament. You, this offense becomes a little bit harder to depend on. It's kind of a light day in college basketball today. Kentucky's obviously off. They don't play again until Wednesday when they play Mississippi State. They've got um, uh, Louisville uh, plays Rutgers today. Probably the game of the day is. Michigan State's coming into Indiana, and Indiana, of course, is trying to get back on the uh, right track of things after dropping a, uh, a heartbreaking loss to Illinois in their conference opener um, on New Year's Eve. Um, so college basketball kind of takes a step back because right now it's all about football. We've got uh, the BCS games, except for the national championship game, all wrapped up. We've got a, a couple little minor bowls, including James Franklin, which, you know, James Franklin has Vanderbilt Bowl. Could that have played a role in – I think, going I think it very easily could have. He yeah. may have refused to interview or not been able to interview as easily because of that. And uh, so we, we got a lot of football stuff going on, NFL playoffs starting this weekend. Uh, a lot more to talk about. We have Carolina Steve on the line, and we will catch him on the other, th- other side of the break. So Carolina, please hang on there. 
and we will be right back on the weekend sports bus. Somehow lost her sanity and dimples. Who now lives in temples? Got the law looking for me. All my exes live in Texas. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Give me a rodeo. Blame it on Texas. Don't blame it on me. Mike and Doppel back on the Weekend Sports Buzz, and we do have a rodeo that we can blame on Texas right now going on with the Charlie Strong situation. Make sure to tune in to ION 21 at 11 p.m. on Sunday night for the Sunday Sports Buzz. Join host Greg Brom. For your first chance to recap all the weekend sports action, which is going to be a pretty exciting weekend of sports action, we just got bad news out of the uh, out of the Kentucky front, recruiting front. Looks like Matt Elam is not going to make his decision today. Uh, the five-star All-American out of John Harden High School, who was down at the Army All-American game, uh, where there's six Kentucky players already, which is just unfathomable to me. Um, Matt Elam is going to wait now until signing day to choose between Alabama and Kentucky. I can't believe that we've even in the discussion of someone choosing between Alabama and Kentucky and that we have guys who are committed to Ohio State thinking about dropping their commitment to Ohio State and coming to Kentucky. That is just right there, just unbelievable to me in the first place. So, you know, it's bad news, but I, I still am hopeful that Stoops can get it done. I think it goes to show you the difference in modern day recruiting because you got these kids together for a week and what did they do? They all talked about joining each other. They all talked about, well, I'll leave here and I'll come here with you and we'll be great together. And then now they're getting to the end of the week and everybody's kind of starting to change their minds, talk about it. I, mean, you can't, I can't imagine how many different scenarios have been talked about this whole week while they've been there. Yeah, well, and especially with uh, Elam rooming with that uh, the kid who's committed to Ohio State, uh, Jones. Jones, yeah. Yep. So, and then, of course, if he comes, he looks like he's got two other guys that are wanting to come with him. I just, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy to think that Kentucky, I mean, there's a chance that Kentucky could have 11 kids when it's all said and done that are playing in this All-American game. Well, That's a chance. And, and, and two of them already backed out and are going to go ahead and commit today. That The writing's on the wall. They're going to go to Ohio State together like they already planned on doing. Uh, so losing the Elam commitment today makes me worry about all the other conversations that have gone on there. Yeah. Or maybe – Maybe the opposite was true. Maybe he was thinking about going to Alabama and this Valentine, the other number 56 player in the country, defensive tackle, maybe he, that's why he had interest in UK was because Elam was going to take the spot at Alabama and Valent, so he was pushing Valentine to UK, telling him how, how great it'd be to walk in and start from day one. Who knows? I don't know. All right, Caroline Steve's on the line. Let's talk to Carolina. What's going on? Well, I, Charlie Strong got me thinking about when Matt Brown left Carolina to go to Texas. Yep. One of the things that was mentioned, and I would have to agree with Matt Brown on this, Matt Brown, I think, was quoted, if I'm correct, as saying he would never win a national championship at Carolina. I think the same thing could be said for, uh, for Charlie Strong at the level. If you want to win a national championship, you've got to get to a school that puts football first. 
I, I mean, that's a good point, Char- I mean, Carolina. I mean, I do think that uh, I know you love the ACC, but I think the ACC is uh, eventually winnable for Louisville. I think they could they could match up and you know rise to the top and win that. And if they could go undefeated in the ACC, I think they would have their chance to win a national championship. I don't think they could win the ACC. I think there's too many teams that have already established a strong football program in there. Teams like Florida State, teams like Clemson. By the way, did you see the Clemson game last night? I did. I saw most of it. I didn't see all of it. I, I took a little break in the middle to watch a movie with my wife, but I saw most of it. Well, this reminded me, and I don't know if y'all even heard of this or know it, but the last time that Clemson and Ohio State played was in the Gator Bowl in 1978. And with, uh, is this and Ricky Hayes, yeah, player? the Clemson football player. Yep. Yeah, they've mentioned that a couple times last night, and that was, uh, it was, uh, I'd never heard that story before then. Uh, you know, of course. Woody Hayes is one of the most uh, respected football coaches out there, and uh, I'd be hard-pressed to see how that would be reacted to today as opposed to the way it was reacted to back then. Well, I was—I remember I was watching the game, and I saw him try to hit uh, Charlie Bond, who was the nose guard from Clemson, who intercepted the pass. And the funny thing about it, Charlie was the strongest football player in the United States at that time because he was the first one to bench over 500 pounds. Wow. 500 pounds. And that's just, that's just something. Uh, well, I wish Coach Strong well in Texas. I don't know if he can make it down there. As a football coach, he can, but as a politician down there, that was they didn't like to get out here and do things. He just wanted to coach football. But down there, he won't have to worry about doing NCAA basketball the uh, riders not covering his football practices because they'll be covering his football practices as much as possible. And I had an opportunity to be in Austin in 2002 on vacation. Got out, was walking in the morning, and walked down to Memorial Stadium. And I wanted to go on the field, and the guy didn't have a key, but he took me upstairs. And I see one reason why. If I was uh, a recruit wanting to go to Texas, in the end zone, he took me into this room and pulled the drapes and it was what was called the Letterman's Club. And the bar stools were like saddles. Then he took me next door and said, I'm going to show you something a lot of people don't get to see. There was not one but two Heisman trophies over there. Wow. Ricky Williams and, and the great Mr. Earl Campbell, who was my all-time favorite Texas football player, for the simple reason, he's the only man I've ever seen run into Bevo and not Bevo out. Well, y'all have a good day. Hey, Carolina. I hope that uh, they can get a good coach here. If they got David Cutcliffe from Duke, who uh, last night on Facebook, there was a guy from Duke tweeted, said that uh, River had already been in contact with Cutcliffe. I would definitely pull for Louisville then. Y'all have a good day. Carolina. We're only a month and a half away from Speed Week. See there? I guess he's gone. All right. So David Cutcliffe is the the name of that. First off, let's let's talk a little bit about what what uh what uh Caroline Steve said there. I honestly, I ACC football is good, but I don't think it's unbeatable for Louisville to to win the ACC. I, I mean, Florida State's been very much up and down over the last 
you know, 10 years. Uh, Clemson tends to do, you know, what they, you know, of course, this this year there's been a little bit different, but they usually start off really strong and then they fold towards the end of the year. You know, I, I, Miami's down. Virginia Tech's down. Duke was in the ACC championship game. Now, this Duke game, <laughs> this Duke team was, I guess, better than I thought because they put on a hell of a show against Texas A&M. But uh, I, I think Louisville could, given the right situation, right scenario, could go and compete and win the ACC. Well, I, th- I think if you look at the programs in the ACC, Miami's down. Miami hasn't had a good quarterback in the last couple of years. Right. They've, they've, had, they've had some college good quarterbacks, but they've, they haven't had any All-American type quarterbacks. Miami had a run for a while where they always had one. Florida State, they go several years down, then they get Jameis Winston. Right. Jameis is gone after next year. Yep. Who knows what – now, I'm sure they've got five four-star quarterbacks in the, in the fold, but that doesn't always pan out. And then you turn around and uh, Clemson is losing Taj Boyd. Now, Clemson had – Two all American, two uh, Army all American quarterbacks in the last three years that are that are on their roster right now, I believe, unless they've transferred. They could not pan out, or they could pick the wrong one. It's amazing just picking the wrong one, even if it's for two games. How badly it can set your program off. Morgan Newton, and I love Morgan. Morgan's a great yeah. guy. There's not a better guy out there. Well spoken, phenomenal kid. Loves for UK to be great, but he was, he didn't have it. No, he just didn't have it, and and I, and I hate saying that I really do because he is such a good kid, but he wasn't. He didn't have the arm talent or the ability to break the de- break the defense down mentally. Whatever the case is, he just didn't have it. Mike Hartline did better on less talent, right? And so you choose the wrong quarterback, it can set you years back. So Louisville's going to a good situation where they could should be able to compete. Um, you know, I depending if. Now you know if Charlie does leave, I'm still I'm still think he's more than likely out of here. Uh, who the next head coach is, which Carolina said David Cutcliffe, which I don't think a lot of loyal fans would be happy with. Um, you know, that was a name that was thrown around with the Kentucky search, and it didn't excite a whole lot of Kentucky fans either. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for David Cutcliffe just because I remember the days of what he was doing with quarterbacks. Uh, you know, working with the Mannings. And what he did with with Eli was phenomenal, but he hasn't really ever, until this Duke year, hadn't really done anything to really shock me. Right. So I I respect him a lot, but is he the type of coach that you're going to go get and bring into your program, and he's going to go recruit the kids you want to recruit? I think Louisville needs someone though that's going to bring a lot of energy. I mean, I, that's that's my thing. I think they need someone who's going to come in and bring a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, and. Uh, I just don't know who it is. I, I don't know realistically who they can go out and kind of go out there and get. Uh, my, my view on coaching is you don't hire a 55 or over coach unless you need to rebuild because those coaches have been through it and seen it and usually have the experience to do that. Right. When you go hire a – when you want energy and recruiting and up-tempo and every, all these other things that people like to see in their program to unite the program, you do that with a young coach. That's what UK is doing right now. They went and got Rich Brooks when they needed to re- rebuild the program from the bottom up, from all the probation and everything else. Now they go get Stoops when even though they took a downfall for a, for a couple of years, they still have that that freshness of when they were winning and going to bowl games. It's still it's still in this lifetime. It's not a long time ago. Right. 
So I, I don't see Louisville going to hire a 58, 59-year-old, 62-year-old coach. I don't know how old Cutcliffe is, but I know, he's, I know he's over 55. He's been around too long not to be. So I don't see them going to hire a coach like that. I see them wanting to continue and go with a younger coach. Maybe it's a one-year speed bump, and then they're back on, on track. I just can't imagine, though, who that is. Like, I, I'm, I don't think it's Kirby Smart. Uh, I, I don't see Kirby Smart leaving for a job like Louisville. I think Kirby Smart's holding out for... He's going to get one, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, not that Louisville's not a good job, but I think he's looking for something a little different. The and, only thing that can, that can take Kirby Smart and say, you need to go to Louisville, is if he truly believes that their defense is a top-10 defense. Because then he can go work with that and put an offense coordinator in place and have a two-year plan to use that as a stepping stone. But I don't think he needs a stepping stone at this point. I think he's going to get a top five in a team, a top five in a conference team. I think he's going to get that kind of offer. And you always hear Calipari telling his assistants, don't leave unless you're going to be in the top five of your conference, whatever right. conference it is. Don't set yourself up for failure. Who knows where Louisville's going to fall in the ACC? Right. A lot of people think they know, but you really don't, especially with losing everybody they're going to lose. You really can't guess. I'm just glad Stoops didn't get that advice. <laughs> you gotta wonder if he did get that advice and he just did it anyway you know I don't know maybe he's too stubborn for his own good nope. and that you know I have to appreciate that because we're not even in the top five in the SEC East so <laughs> uh, it's I don't know you know I think it's gotta be the favorite person so far it's gotta be Sean Watson uh, and I don't know what that does for the fan base there I mean he Sean Watson got beat up got pretty blasted this year by the and does that not just like smell of Joker Phillips being hired at Kentucky it's it's a very similar situation. Yeah. I mean, I mean he, there's no coach in waiting tag. When, but. when he was offensive coordinator, he did phenomenal. Took him to bowls, had a high-powered offense, and then all of a sudden they go backwards toward the end. And that's the same thing that happened in Louisville. Why in the world did their offense go backwards this year when they had such a great defense? And and, and I can't answer the question. I, I, don't know enough, I don't know enough about what was going on on the inside there to understand why you've got a Heisman quarterback and your offense isn't putting up 40 against the defenses you were playing. Eric Crawford is now reporting via Twitter that the uh, sticking point is Clint Hurt. So whether or not Clint Hurt is the uh, person who is, uh, you know, the one holding Charlie back from being able to take this Texas job or not, what that means, you know, I don't know. Does he have pictures of Charlie or something? I he's got to I mean, have something because where does what does Clint Hurt do for Charlie Strong at Texas? He's a liability. He's got to be a lot. He doesn't really help him. He's, I mean, he, even even if he is the greatest recruiter to ever come through college football, he smells the World Wide West. It, it does, and he's got the, even if he never did anything wrong, which is not really debatable because the NCAA's already hit him for it. If he never did anything wrong and was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, it still has that tarnished look to it. And you you can't take the Texas job and bring bring baggage. You just can't do it. No. Uh, so I, I'd, I'm, you know, very interested to see what happens with that. You know, we're going to learn more about that situation with Clint Hurt, and uh, it's, it's very just perplexing just to see like what does, what does Clint Hurt mean to Charlie Strong that this is what's holding him up. If that's the case, you know, that's what Eric Crawford's putting out there right now. It's also coming out that Charlie Strong was very disappointed in the uh, fan support they got on Senior Day, and the fans, uh, the stands being half full. So it's going to be interesting to see what continues to unfold here as we comb for information with the Charlie Strong situation. But we have come to the end of our first hour. 
uh, Mike Kandotho, Anthony Thornton. We will be right back on the Weekend Sports Buzz. To the weekend sports buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln buzz line at 384-1450. Welcome back, sports fans. Mike Gandolfo, Anthony Thornton. We are the weekend sports buzz. Uh, following two breaking situations right now in the football world uh, that affects us here locally. Obviously, Charlie Strong uh, in the Texas situation. Uh, Rick Bosich just tweeted out that another source is telling him that Charlie is genuinely undecided and that uh, it does not have anything to do with Clint Hurt or the money. It's uh, And we, we talked a little bit about that. I mean, he's got strong family ties here. His his girls are big-time volleyball players. Uh, obviously, our volleyball uh, our volleyball here locally is really, really good, especially at the high school level. Um, there's been things mentioned before about Charlie's interracial marriage and how they want to make sure that they're in a, commu- a community that is uh, that is supportive of that as well. And, and from what I hear, that was a sticking point at Tennessee. Um, Louisville's a very tolerant city for things like that. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it could it be a family thing? Could it be a loyalty thing? Is it a Clint Hurt thing? It's definitely not a money thing. I, I I don't think it is a money thing. I really don't think it's a money thing. I don't see how. I don't think five million versus four million is is a money thing, anyways. No, it, going to the Texas job can't. It's not about money. No. It can't be. You can't base your decision on on adding twenty percent to your income. No, no, I, I do think it could be a, a like what Carolina C was saying. It gives you a better chance of winning a national title. I'm not saying oh. he doesn't have any chance at Louisville because I think there could be a chance, but it gives him a much better chance. The canvas is better at Texas than it is, as uh, Tim Sullivan put in his article. My worry of the Texas job right now, and I know I've already said this about the ACC a second ago, but it's the quarterback situation. Yes. They have missed on quarterbacks several years in a row. Not just one quarterback, but they've tried to put three in the rotation and none of them have done anything. Now, Ash was injured this year, so maybe you give him a pass and maybe he has grown up. Or maybe Charlie has somebody that's going to be a freshman next year that would jump at the opportunity to go with him to Texas. And you give him, do you give him one year? Do you give him two years? Well, in, when, in Texas, one or two years is a lifetime. Yeah, well, A&M... When A and M and Baylor put Heisman candidates out there, and Texas is struggling to find a quarterback, it's not a good situation. No, and that's that. That's where you wonder: Is Ash going to be the quarterback that can help him get to those ten wins? Because that's the that's the limit. You don't go below ten wins in Texas. He might get the one year grace period, but I don't think he gets a two year grace period on on the ten win sticking point. I really don't. Even with the quarterback situation, what happens? Let's say Charlie does pass this up. Do schools at some points just give up and start trying to chase a guy? I would assume so. I would think so too. I mean, at some point they're like, he didn't go to Tennessee, he didn't go to Texas. I mean, but we're look, not even going to try. Here's the perfect point though. Look at Peterson from Boise State. Yeah. He he had everybody after him. And then teams kind of gave up. And then what happens? I understand he's got some ties to Washington that apparently that was his dream job for a long time. 
but he passes up a lot of big name schools and then jumps on Washington. And I, I can't imagine Washington went in there thinking they were going to get him. No, that's not even because that's when you think about it as far as the quality. You know, Washington's got a decent history and tradition, and but I mean they, they don't have a great recruiting base. Now he, no one can probably recruit that Northwest rather than he can. But they don't have a great recruiting base. They don't have. Uh, they have to go up against UC, USC and UCLA. Looks like they're going to be strong for a while, and Stanford looks like they're going to be strong for a while. I, I don't know. Just that. That baffles me too. So it's, there's obviously other factors that come down to these these coaching decisions. And well, and his had a lot to do, I think, with the BCS. Yeah. He knew he wasn't going to be a BCS buster anymore. So I think he saw the writing on the wall maybe a year or two too late, in his opinion. I, I, unless that was truly his dream job, I think that he probably saw the writing on the wall a year or two too late. And so, so he had nowhere else to go but there. So all of a sudden, that was my dream job. You just didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have to figure out how all this stuff still unfolds. Uh, I want to touch on this just a little bit because, uh, you know, it is a big football weekend, uh, mainly from the NFL standpoint. Uh, NFL playoffs kick off today, and uh, we've got, I think, some really good uh, games coming up. Um, I am a 49ers fan, just full disclosure. Uh, I, was in, I was at the 49ers, uh, the 49ers' last Super Bowl win uh, when they beat the Chargers. So uh, they got a big game against Green Bay. It is going to be cold. They're saying it's going to be, it could be under zero. I feel bad for Tim Maste. <laughs> I really do. The, the coldest one I ever did was 20 degrees and kicking against that Tennessee, rock. and I could not keep my foot from feeling like a piece of ice. But the uh, Tim, Tim will deal with it. Tim's a, Tim's a tough guy, but I do feel bad for those guys because it's going to be freezing cold. I, I feel good about my 49ers chance there just because they're so defensive-oriented and they've got a great running game. I mean, that's... You know, it's not like they're going to go try to chuck it around a whole lot. I mean, they're going to run between the tackles, and they're going to have, you know, they got great linebackers, and I feel like they can. Uh, and I just think they're a better team. So, uh, but of course, Cobb's back. It pains me to say that, but I think you're right. Yeah, it, are you a does. Packers fan? I, I'm a Packers fan because of those two. Yeah, you know, Cobb be, and because Matt of Tim. Says. Yeah, because of Tim and Cobb. I, I'm a fan of of the Packers, but I don't think this is their year. I think they've too many injuries, too many issues. Um, I do think San Francisco's running game in that cold weather, you know, Green Bay's had a, had trouble stopping the run. And they got gashed by San Francisco last year. They got well, they've gotten beat by San Francisco the last three times no, they've played. But I'm so saying last year they got gashed bad. <laughs> and I, I and this being a cold game, I think that's I think that's gonna play a big role in it. It's gonna be interesting to me because I'm I'm going through these games today and uh, the other one that I think we're gonna be obviously looking at locally, there's two of them I guess. Uh the, the Bengals look like they have a pretty good chance of getting their first playoff win since 1990. And uh, they've been awesome at home. And then, of course, the Colts are playing today. I don't know if any of the eight teams that are playing today, though, realistically are the ones that can make it to the Super Bowl. I think the four, out of all of them, and of course I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible, but I'm extremely biased, the 49ers probably had the best chance. Of making that run and being able to go win something on the road in that uh, in that next roundup against the teams that get a bye, I think you're exactly right. The Broncos, right. and the to me, are the, the head and shoulders against above everyone else in the AFC. You know, I, I'm not sure that the Broncos have the secondary. I'm not, not. It's not a matter of not being sure. The Broncos secondary can't handle a lot of those teams, especially anybody that has a, a one go to receiver. The Broncos don't really have anybody that can shut down anyone, much less a true NFL go-to receiver. So but can they can they outscore you? I, 
that's hard to stay in the playoffs. Now, granted, if they, you know, I guess they get home field, but yeah, they got home field all the way through. That's hard to. It, it's hard to say that if you can't stop one thing that somebody else does ever, are you really going to be able to outscore them? You've got to be able to at least make turnovers happen or something happen that changes the the flow of the game. And if they can't ever force a turnover or enough third and longs, can they really stop somebody's passing game? And if uh, San Francisco is a perfect example, if, if they can't if they can't stop them from being able to throw the ball, you know they're not going to be able to stop them from doing both because, well, Florida, because San Francisco can run the ball too well. San Diego is the only per- team that's beaten uh, Denver in Denver this year. And, of course, they got to go play at Cincinnati which you know should be a great game. That's both the the Forty ers and the Bengals games are tomorrow. Today's games: the Chiefs and the and the Colts. Uh, the Colts are one of three teams that have beaten the the Broncos this year as well. Uh, and then the the Saints have to go to Philadelphia, uh, which is I think it's a very intriguing matchup. I feel bad for these uh, these wild card teams in the NFC with the, these great records. They have to go on the road and play teams that basically won their division by default. That uh, that weather in the in Philadelphia, New Orleans is going to be interesting because it's going to be it's going to be cold there too, it's and that's a cold. night game. Yep, eight ten. And New Orleans, I mean, their running game is not a running game. It is get the ball to the running back on short throws. We got a uh, call on the Oxmore Ford Lincoln Buzz line, and it's our biggest Indiana fan. The truth, the truth is there. What's going on, my man? What's up, man? I like Green Bay today. I get beat too. You like him to get beat? Yeah, I got him to get beat. I think San Francisco is going to go to the Super Bowl. Well, I want to know what you feel about this whole Charlie Strong situation, Truth. I, I think it was a great deal for him going. For one reason, everybody all upset, but I want to let, remind them, Kelly was at Cincinnati and went to uh, Notre Dame and played for the National Championship. Yep. And, and then I I understand this. It was a business move. Let's be realistic. Long Coach Strong stay at Louisville. He never will play for a national championship. But he can go to Texas and get uh, a lot of people like Teddy Bridgewater because Texas is a football state. That's and very true. I know it is. And and you know and let's be realistic. He can go look at all the quarterbacks came out of Texas. You know. You know, you can go to Texas and build him a big program like Nick Saban did. Come on, let's. Uh, Texas one of the top five school in the nation. If you can't win in Texas, you can't get no football player. You should not be coaching, right or wrong. I mean, uh, you're you're exactly right. I mean, that's that's a Mount Rushmore type job at Texas. I mean, and they uh, if you know, I guess there's still a chance that he passes it up. I don't know what's going on, but I think he's. I think he's. More than likely going to take and, and, and go. So, uh, Truth, what about your Hoosiers today taking on Michigan State? Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. We had 28 turnovers and get beat by three points. But I, we're going to beat Michigan State today. You like it? I'm huh? not. I don't. I. You know what? I really. I ain't really seen a team. Uh, Everybody putting up Wisconsin, uh, they good, but I really ain't seen one team could dominate. You got about at least sixteen teams can win the national championship, don't y'all think that too? I think it's uh, a lot more wide open than I thought it was at the beginning of the year. I would have said seven or so at the beginning of the season, and uh, now I do feel like there's some teams that are ranked up there that don't really have much of a chance. Uh, you know, we mentioned that I think Louisville's going to be in trouble because I think. 
in six games somewhere down the line you're going to play teams that's really good with length, and they're they're going to struggle to beat a team like that. I think Villanova is not. I don't think they're really a national contender. Um, I I'll tell you another team is uh, in trouble too. A lot of people ain't talking about. It's Michigan. Mitch McGarry's out for the season. That's right. Yeah, and, and they they're going to struggle because they're they're going to miss their inside presence there too. And uh, they're going to you know Nick Stockus is a nice player, but um, I don't know if he's poised to be their their main guy. Um, so you know I I think there's there is a good chunk of them. I I don't know if I'd go quite sixteen, but I think there's you know there's probably about ten to twelve. So well, are you throwing Wichita a, State in there? No, Wichita State's not. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to see them play pretty soon when they came, come here to Edmondsville, play Edmondsville. I, I stayed up and watched them play Western Kentucky their first game. They're a good, they're a good solid team, and they could make another run. Oh, yes, they? They, they could make a run to the Final Four, but I don't think they've got oh, what it takes. Okay. Hey, let's give a shout-out to my Hoosier girls. They are 14-0. and 0. They knocked off the number 23 team, our Hawkeyes, uh, Wednesday night. Indiana girls fourteen and zero. Who ever thought about that? Well, I mean, then when you consider that you know the state of Kentucky's got two teams ranked in the top ten, it's uh, it's women's basketball in this area has made a complete one hundred and eighty from where it was when I was growing up. So, hey, have y'all been keeping up with the girl I've been talking to y'all about Tar Butts? I have not, uh, to be honest with you, truth. But I, you know, I do like watching women, the women's game, and so I, you know, we will definitely make an, an effort to kind of figure out some more about her. And uh, I know listen, you're excited about her coming to the Indiana. Listen to this over the weekend. Over the weekend, listen to the tips that she put up. She put up 42, 48, 52, 60, and in the championship game, she scored 66 points. Whoa, it's a lot of points, man. It's a lot of points. <laughs> She lead the nation in scoring. She averaged fifty points now. What do you? Why do you think Indiana's not ranked yet in the top twenty-five in women's basketball? Uh, they probably said they ain't playing nobody. Well, I'll be straight up. Yeah, but they, you know, now if they got a good quality win over Iowa, that's uh, let's, it'll be interesting to see if they get if they crack that top twenty-five. So we'll be. Uh, Are they gonna crack it this week? They're gonna crack it this week because they beat uh, Alba Hawkeyes ranked twenty-three. So are you fourteen and oh, you you have to be at least uh, top thirty. Yep, I would agree, Truth. Especially when there's only, uh, right now, there's only one, two, three, four teams in the uh, women's top 25 that are undefeated. Yeah, so I'm looking, forward for, I'm looking forward to Indiana uh, football program. And I'm, uh, you know I'm excited about baseball. My God, baseball going to be ugly in Bloomington this year. Well, you know, that's another sport that, you know, when I was growing up, Kentucky, Louisville, and Indiana, no, nobody had a good baseball team. And now all three of those schools are – are putting together pretty respectable baseball programs. You know, Indiana got a lot of people returning back for next year. Well, that's good. They, I mean, they hit the crap out of the ball. So, you know, it's going to be kind of like their football team. It's uh, can the pitching and defense uh, do enough to, to withstand their great offense. We got a guy. We got to let me leave you with this. We got a freshman out of Missouri. He could have went in the first round in baseball, but he came to Indiana. He's gonna probably stay there one year, so he's gonna be one. He's gonna be a, one of our aces. Well, the nice and thing is, if a, he comes to school, he has to stay at least two in baseball. Yeah, that's what I like about it. Yeah, yeah. So he's we got Indiana got two aces. We had the freshman we pitched last year, so we got. We got to, we're going to give, go to the world, sir. So, y'all have a good week and tell the little fan, don't, if they're going to burn up Charlie Strong's 
square but cold. Tell him it's going to be cold. Go down on uh, Market Street and give it to a homeless person and let them be uh, where they cold before they burn it up. All right, All, be, <laughs> All right, thanks, Truth. With that, I think we'll go to a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Weekend Sports Buzz. If you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band. That lead guitar is hot. Welcome back. Mike and Doppel here on the Weekend Sports Buzz. I'm joined in studio by Anthony Thornton, former Kentucky football player. And uh, we are uh, we're getting to count down. we got about 40 minutes left to go on the show. Uh, Want to make sure that everyone knows that 1450 The Sports Buzz brings you Western Kentucky Hilltopper Athletics presented by Thornton's. The action starts with the Toppers tip-off show 30 minutes before tip-off of each game. Stop in your local Thornton's today for endless variety of refreshingly cold fountain drinks featuring chewable nugget ice for 89 cents. 1450 The Sports Buzz is your Louisville and Southern Indian home for Hilltopper Athletics. Today they play uh, 12.30. The pregame starts for the 1 o'clock show against the uh, Troy Trojans. And uh, Western actually in a huge win the other day against South Alabama, who was also in, at South Alabama. It was uh, projected as one of the teams that challenged Western for the Sun Belt crown. Um, I got to go down and see the Hilltoppers play um the day before, or December 30th against Ole Miss, got to go see Marshall Henderson, which was a show in itself. Uh, Western put on a pretty good fight. They ended up losing to Ole Miss, but it was uh, it was a close game all the way through, and they looked really good. So this is a Western team that uh, um, could be pretty dangerous, uh, especially, I think, next year. So uh, good luck to those Hilltoppers, and uh, we'll be listening on 1450. Uh, Anthony Thornton, like I said, played at UK, and he you were fortunate enough to play with Neil Brown. And some of the other coaches on UK's coaching staff. So you know these guys pretty well. Um, today's a huge day for Kentucky football, uh, mainly because we have six guys in the Army All American game that's on NBC today at one o'clock. I, I don't know if that's has that ever happened for us. Well, not all of them are in the All American Army All American game. Okay, we had six guys last night that were playing in the offense defensive game, which oh, is the okay. same one. Got that, you. Same one that Julio. No, not Julio Jones. Um, uh, I think Johnny Manziel. And a lot of other big name recruits. It's basically like the third game down. It's the Army All American game, the Under Armour game, and then the offense defense game. So we had to give you an idea the the running back that we have is committed the number four running back in the country. He's more of a all purpose back. Stanley Williams. He was actually the game MVP. So you've got a lot of good players, a lot of four star players that are still playing in this game. Uh, so we had six in that game, and then obviously Drew Barker. And then we're hoping Matt Elam uh, in the Army All-American game, and we're hoping Marcellus Jones too. Yeah. Um, now there were six players. There were at least six players that were considering UK still that were playing in the Army All-American game. So I don't think I don't think at least three of those are going to go UK's way. At most four do. So we could still end up having four Army All-American All-American players, which is well, the unreal. last one. I mean. We haven't really had many. And Micah Johnson. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, yeah, it's it's just unreal, and to think that you know that this staff has been able to do this and to keep these guys together and to still make, you know, to come off a two win season and still make uh, serious strides in the uh, in the recruiting trail. It's I, I just can't even believe it's it's kind of happening. I just hope it translates to the same things on the field. You know, you're close to these guys. You played with a lot of them. Uh, I, I'm assuming you still stay in contact with some of them. What what are these guys selling to come to Lexington? Everything that I've heard is 
It started off as playing time, which is every new coach's, you know, that, that's, that's what all of them are going to sell. That's the first thing they're going to jump to is you're going to come and you're going to start competing for playing time right away for me because I have no ties there. Um, and then you can also point to the record and the talent on there and say, these guys aren't up to par. You're, you're a stud. You can come in here and play right away or at least compete for time right away. It's all about how you sell it. You say it right. You don't tell somebody they're going to come in and be the stud because that's not realistic. Right. But same thing Cal tells them. You can come in here and you can compete. And if you're the best, you're going to play. And he obviously wasn't, pl- wasn't afraid to play freshman because who were our <laughs> our leading offensive and defensive players? Well, I won't say defensive. Our leading offensive players this year were all the, the new players. Especially the receiver side and, you know, Judge O'Kemp coming out and having a yep. good a year. And so, I mean, it, it's just going to be uh, it's gonna be great. I, I really feel like we're – next year, Kentucky's probably, you know, going to be hovering around four wins is kind of where I expect them to be. Uh, could make a bigger step than that. But, you know – that year three, we should be back in the bowl picture, I, I would hope. Eight home games in 2015. I know. Eight home games. So the, everything sets up. The renovations will be finished before that, before the beginning of the 2015 season. The eight home games, which, I mean, if Louisville's the last game of the year, that game that game could not matter. We could already have our bowl game. Or what if, we, what if it comes down to that game and that's – I hope that I hope that we're farther ahead than that at that point that we don't need that game to go to a bowl, but that could end up being a great decision for matchup purposes, or it could be a a, a something that ruins the. I don't. Know. I, 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 I hope don't, not. I don't like it. I don't like the last game of the year stuff. I so. hope it doesn't ruin the rivalry. If it comes down like South Carolina and Clemson has most of the years, where they're they're ju- they're juggle, juggling for eight nine wins, ten wins, it, it matters. It's fun. But if they both have seven wins, that's fun. If one of them has three wins and one of them has six or seven wins, it's not fun. Unless, it, 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 unless it, it we spoil them. Well, it, I mean, if they have five wins yeah. and you knock them out of the bowl, then it's fun. But I just, uh, I, I do not like it. I, you know, I just, you know, I went to that Tennessee game and then literally drove up right before the game started, went to my seat, stayed till about, I, I saw a little bit of the fourth quarter and then I was out of there. And then, I, for a lot of people, Tennessee's a much bigger rival than Louisville is. And that stadium was not anywhere close to full for Tennessee. The tailgating was way down because it was so freaking cold. And uh, it's basketball's already started. You know, for the, and for the, there's some diehard Kentucky football fans out there, for sure, that football is really important to them, and maybe even more so than basketball. Um, but the majority of the fan base, that's not the way it is. That's the that was my biggest complaint about it was the tailgating, because I think the UK UVO game should be a humongous party. It should be it should be a cocktail. <laughs> yeah. It should be like the cocktail party, except it should be the bourbon party. Right. Every year, it, it, they should have bourbon vendors out there. They should have everything. I know they can't, but they should, and it should be a humongous party. And it's not. And especially at the end of the year, it's not going to be. It's just in it, to me. Yeah, it loses that luster because of it. So. I don't know. So Matt Elam not making his decision today. Um, it could have been huge for Kentucky to have someone on national television make their announcement and put on that Kentucky hat. Um, not going to happen. There, are, most people are still thinking that Matt Elam ends up at Kentucky, but the the momentum that could have happened from just having that kind of national exposure would have been huge. You know, I, I talked to him uh, not long ago. He won the Louisville Quarterback Clubs 
Paul Horning Award. Big dude, huh? He's huge. He was 372. The, or three <laughs> se- he weighed at 372 at the Army All-American game. He was, told me he was 370 that day. And uh, I met him one time at a, at a football practice. He was there uh, one time. He was there a bunch, apparently. But one of the practices I was at, he was there. And, and I get the impression he genuinely loves UK. He wants loves to be a staff. part of UK. Wants to be there. I, yeah. I, I really get that impression he does. Now, you know, if I'm coming out of college, if I'm coming out of high school right now, going to college, even with my love for UK, gosh, that's hard to say no to Alabama. And it's not like it's an Alabama that, you know, if they get him, great. If they don't, Alabama, like, genuinely really wants this kid. I mean, this is like someone they feel could make a difference. They already have one of the top. I'm, I'm going to lump him and two other kids, in, in, from what I understand, as the three best defensive tackles. They've already got one other defensive tackle that's more of a 290-ish type player. But Alabama thrives on having a 350 kid in the middle. And so I think they love this. The other defensive tackle is rated either higher than him or just below him in every recruiting service. So I think they really like where they stand on the defensive tackle position, but they would love to have both of them. Yeah. And, and with the three, four they play, I mean, I guess they're going to move the other one to a big D end and play, and they like to play 280 and above with all three of their frontline guys. It's crazy. But when you look at Florida State, that's one of the things that Florida State can do this weekend or Monday, is that if Florida State wants to, they're playing a 3-4 right now, but they have defensive linemen that are 280 and above pretty much everywhere. So they can put the – a lot of times they put those defensive ends out there that are 250 and can run, but they have the ability with some of their top defensive linemen to still go 280, 290, and 320 at their three spots and then have those outside linebackers. Now what it hurts is that they can run up the middle on a 3-4 usually – Unless they unless the the defensive tackle requires the nose guard requires two blockers, which Elam would. Elam would. You would think that's at three seventy. I don't see how he doesn't. Three seventy and athletic. It's not like this is a, you know, just a a big guy that's just kind of standing there. And the other the other thing I like about it is that he's three seventy, but he's not. Everybody compares him to Terrence Cody because he was so good, but Mount Cody was only six two or six three. He's six six, isn't he? He's six six. So he not only does he have the 370, he's also got the wingspan, the long arm, so that if he is being double teamed, he can reach across the line at a 370-pound arm. That's not an arm tackle. That's a that's a big tackle. So he can he can take up almost three spots with his between his wingspan and his size. Well, I mean, just to, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", 270. This guy's got two inches and a hundred pounds on me. That's a that's a big big human being. Big human being, and he said he ran a four nine. <laughs> now he saying that and actually doing, doing it two it, things. Right. Now they go through combine type activities down there that, that you know they're not they, they're all hand timed though. Yeah, okay, they don't post anything. I don't, I don't think I don't think uh, unless they've changed, they're not electronic timed. And if they do, I think they try to be careful about how they handle it because they don't want to they don't want to kill a kid because of what they do. They they want to they want to accent the good kids, but they don't want to kill the mediocre kids. So I think they're careful about how they post. Well, uh, and I think what happens though, more than anything, it's becoming a selling point for these events, and even on basketball, because it's becoming something that I know I've been approached about with the Derby Classic. That these combine type activities, uh, the more kids go through it, the better they become at it. So you know, now when you go to the NBA Combine or the NFL Combine, you've got you've had experience going through each of these activities they're going to have you to do, and. Uh, just makes it give, a, I think, a truer test of what it really is. So uh, I know it's it's a huge deal to to be able to do that. So 
uh, whether it's hand timed or not, just the experience of going out there and running the 40. But I can't even imagine. I mean, a guy who's 6'6", 370 running a 4, or even if it's like a 5'2", that's, that would be like getting hit by a Mack truck. I'll give you an idea. Chris Redmond ran like a, and I may misquote this, but I think he ran a 5-1 at the NFL Combine. I, I, know it was, I know it was right around that 5.0 time, and that's one of the things that hurt him in the draft. They said that they wanted to see him below 5-0 or, or below 4-9 or whatever it was, and he ran a 5-1. And, and that, that cost him some draft spots, my understanding. I think what's even more impressive to me, though, about what Mark Stoops is doing on the recruiting trail is the headway. We're going toe-to-toe with Ohio State in the state of Ohio. And there's if there's one thing I know, Kentucky people love their Kentucky basketball program. They love the, the University of Kentucky. But Ohio people are crazy they, about Ohio they die State. By it. Yeah, they live and die. It's by probably it. about the same. I mean, I, as far as the basketball and the football side goes, I it is really impressive that we were again. These are guys that Ohio State generally wants. We're able to go up there and take four star players out of the state of Ohio. I think it's still it's still a developing because I'm waiting to see what happens when signing day hits. And if Ohio State misses on one or two of the national kids they're going after, do they come back to a couple of these Ohio kids and say, you're our guy, we want you? It, does that sway anything at the end? Now, talking to a couple of people at UK, they all say that this class is so tight, that's not going to have an impact this year. But there are some years that you will lose one or two like that. And, and we still may lose one or two, but I think Stoops has a plan in place. I mean, coaches generally on plan on that, don't they? You, you've got to count. I heard a number one point. They've got a, everybody, every coach counts on a five man swing. They expect to lose two or three and they expect to gain two or three at the end. And that's just a normal rotation. And Joker, Joker came out ahead of it a couple of years. He ended up getting kids that they'd expect to get last second. Stoops did last year. He swung two or three kids. Ryan Timmons last year. Swinging him at the huge. end was huge. We saw this year when he's healthy, he's one of the biggest playmakers on our team. And we suffered at the end of the year when he was hurt and we had to bring in the, uh, the other slot guys, which at the time we had another, uh, another receiver who, Collins, is, who is now transferred out of here. Yeah. And then we had a tight end. Those were the two people on the depth chart. So we were limited in that slot position when he went out. So I think when, depending on how that swing happens, if Ohio State – does get the kids they want. We keep ours no problem. Even if we probably still keep, we probably still keep them all. Honestly, we may lose one or two in the swing at the very end. But Ohio State has their top ten guys in the state of Ohio, and I think we've got either four or five of them right now. They've the, got the other ones. The other thing that's kind of confusing me, and I might just be uneducated on this point, because I don't follow the college football recruiting as nearly. I mean, obviously, I have to follow the college basketball recruiting. Um, I thought schools were limited to signing 25 players in a recruiting class. That gets very confusing, and to be honest with you, I don't know the exact ins and outs of it. The SEC limits to 25 signatures on signing day, and and that I think is wrong because the, if the maximum was 25, you've got attrition. I think they should have set it at 28, and apparently a lot of the college, a lot of the SEC coaches wanted it set at 28. Now that does tend to help a UK who now LSU or Alabama can't sign 28, so maybe a couple of those guys fall to UK. But if we sign 25 players, we probably enroll 19 or 20 out of that, maybe 21 or 22. But what happens is the previous year, if we didn't fill out the full 25, we get those two or three spots back. Oh, so we can carry it kind of so you can carry it forward. And then you can also gray shirt and take one to the next signing class. 
if you, if you if you end up oversigning and can't enroll all of them, you can ask them to gray shirt and take them the next year. And we've benefited from that before, uh, where people have been asked to gray shirt at other SEC schools and they didn't want to. Right. And then you've also got the junior college and the mid-year enrollees that don't count toward this year's signing class. My, if I'm right, and I could be wrong on this, and somebody correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that the JUCO guys will take a, a vacating scholarship, so they don't count. They count on the previous years usually. Nice. And then it, now Drew Barker's. I'm not sure how his is going to count because this is the it's whole financial the whole financial aid agreement is new. I'm not sure which number that counts against. Speaking, I haven't heard for sure. Speaking of which, that kid, that Jones kid, I guess has signed financial pay, financial papers with Kentucky Both. and Ohio State. I think that was. That was a mix of him not being decided, and then also if he signs with one and not the other, it cuts off contact yeah. with the other coaching staff. So he had to do that. If he wanted to stay talking to both, he had to sign both. Otherwise, he cuts off contact with one of the coaching staffs. So I think that was keeping lines of communication open. Uh, but if he's doing that, he's obviously thinking about coming to UK. Yeah, I mean, we're in the mix. It's all good. So uh, we got one more segment left in the weekend sports buzz. We will be right back after this break. Mike and Doffel, Anthony Thornton, be back on the other side. So we dusted off our boots and put our cowboy hats on straight. Them Texans raised the roof when Jeff opened up his case. You say y'all all want a two-step. You say you want a do si Well, here's a fiddling song before we go. If you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band. That lead guitar is hot, but not far You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. is a burning thing. Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Mike and Doffo joined the studio with Anthony Thornton. And uh, we are here. One more segment left to go uh, before we get on to the week weekend of sports of uh, watching a lot of great NFL games. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the BCS games and the other bowl games that have happened. We basically, since our, our last show, uh, all the major bowls have happened since the last show. Notre Dame was playing Rutgers at the time of our show, but we had the Louisville-Miami game, which Louisville completely dominated. Uh, we've had these BCS games. And I, I have to tell you, when, when the bowl schedule was announced, I was not very excited about this year's bowl season. I thought the games were going to be kind of crappy. And it's been pleasantly really good i mean these all the bcs games have been extremely entertaining and then i'll even start back to when we mentioned it a little bit before that texas a&m duke game the peach bowl on uh on new year's eve was phenomenal and duke came out and really hit texas A&M in the mouth and then we saw johnny manziel kind of rally his troops and and come back for that for that win it, it was it was it was unreal so uh but if I was picking the BCS game so far, I'd probably be one and three. You know, I would have had the Clemson game right, but I would have missed the other three. Yeah, I was not really sure about the the Central Florida game. That was the one that threw me off. I sure I sure didn't see Central Florida's defense being able to slow Baylor down as much as they did. Well, they still scored forty two points. Uh, but that's slowing down. That's slowing that is slowing them down. That's <laughs> that sad. True. Sad to say, but that's slowing them down. Yeah, uh, I, I think the, them putting up the fifty two spot is uh, pretty impressive against a team like that. You know, I. I would have thought they would have scored. Of course, they put 30-something, 30, 30 35 points on Louisville, whatever it was, and Louisville's defense is really, really strong. You know, putting 52 points on a team like Baylor, that's that's impressive. Now, that part didn't I – mean, I knew they would move the ball. It's, it's always a matter of 
whether these teams can execute after that long of a break. But I had no doubt they'd move the ball. The uh, the execution surprised me. Bortles is a Bortles is a heck of a quarterback. The one pick he threw, the the, the deep ball, it was one on one coverage. I mean, it, that's you, you got expect your player to make a play, right? So I don't fault him for that throw. And the play before that, he put a ball into an NFL window. Yeah, I mean, there are three defenders there, and he thread it right through an NFL window on a, a – I think it was a skinny post right up. So, I mean, the it, it kid has talent. There's no doubt about it. And I think Central Florida surprised me. They were a better team than I thought. And uh, the, the one that I think I was really surprised about, and I know you weren't as surprised, was the Michigan State-Stanford game. Uh, especially Stanford came out and kind of controlled it early. Um, was beating uh, Michigan State 10 to nothing after the first quarter. Michigan State found an offense. The fact that this team – I mean, this team – Offensively was terrible uh, for the majority of the season. Um, Twenty-four points in three quarters to come back and beat Stanford, uh, a team that I thought Stanford, you know, playing in California, not having to acclimate to a time change, uh, just a team that I thought could match Michigan State's physicality. I was I was shocked that that you know on that result, uh, but Michigan State with a big win for the Big Ten, who looked like they were going to have a disappointing bowl season until Michigan State knocked off Stanford. And uh, Nebraska beat Georgia, and uh, Michigan State did it with only sixty-five yards rushing. That's crazy. <laughs> now, who touted their passing game as being anything good? I mean, well, I mean, again, I didn't think I didn't think Cook, the quarterback, was that good, and he throws for over three hundred yards well, and I, only one interception. After the Big Ten championship game, I was on the air and I was saying that 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 Cook kid is basically what a healthy Max Smith would look like. Yeah, and I think that's a fair comparison. And uh, you know he he went out there and he he's put together two back to back two really quality games. So uh, kudos to them. And um, Alabama came out in the Sugar Bowl and looked like they were on a mission. And that great first drive scored in like a minute and a half. Four plays. And then Oklahoma answered. I, I just a great job by Bob Stoops. With of course I think that's what it was having Mark Stoops on the sideline. Is what yep. helped Oklahoma to the win. Automatically, automatically makes you a better team. Yeah, that automatically makes you a much better team. I, so. I tell you, it shocked me what Alabama did because I think it, whichever way it went, either Stoops outcoached Saban or Saban outcoached himself. And I don't know which one it was, but when they started off the game, able to throw the ball so effectively, for some reason they pinned their ears back and put went to the shotgun. That's not their strength. No. Why in the world they did that, especially playing against a 3-4 defense? Now I understand T.J. Yeldon was having, you know, he fumbled, and if you're really going to put your best running back in the doghouse for one fumble, I don't know what, I don't know what the, the solution to that is because that's, that's tough. Now they brought the other kid in, the freshman, and he looked, he looked incredible. But they didn't, get, they didn't pound the ball at all. They, so they lost the play action. They coach themselves right out of their game plan. Yeah, they and don't they abandon it too early. They control the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's what they do, and they they control the running game. And then they got a quarterback who can make some timely throws, and you know, throwing an early pick, I think uh, probably hurt AJ McCarron. I I was just uh, I was really surprised that Oklahoma was able to move the ball on Alabama as well as they did. I know Alabama's defense is not as good as it's been in the past. Their secondaries. I don't want to say I don't want to use the word dinged up. You can't use that as an excuse in a one game, but they were playing with true freshmen at corners that hadn't played most of the year. They they were just they were thin, and so that they couldn't do some of the things that they depend on. But still, you've got to make adjustments, and and it, you, they should have stopped the run better. 
even if they're going to get beat deep over the over the over their heads, they still got to stop the run, and they didn't do it. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe uh, Saban saw they couldn't stop the run, and he called up Matt Elam right afterwards and was like, "Listen, I told you we need you really bad." And hopefully that's not the case. But um, yeah, Alabama two straight losses for an Alabama team. Um, Ohio State ends the year with two straight losses, losing to Clemson last night in a very entertaining game. I still don't think Ohio State's very good. I'm, I just, you know, they just literally do not play anybody. Clemson, um, Clemson, I thought was a very good team. I was surprised that that game last night was as close as it was. I think Ohio State. You can call me an Ohio State hater if you want to. You can I, definitely I've, call me an Ohio State. I've, hater. I've never been a fan of them. I don't like. I don't like their program. I don't like some of the things that they've gotten away with in the past that other programs wouldn't get away with. And I know they got smacked on the wrist the one time for the tattoos and probably a little harder than they should have, but trust me, that wasn't because of that. That well, was because of several things building up to that. Their one their one bowl win over an SEC team was that was beating Arkansas with all those guys that should not have been playing in that game. Yeah. That's their suspension started the beginning of the next season. Yeah. That never happens. <laughs> That would never happen anywhere else. No, I, I, I'm not an Ohio State fan. Now, having said that, I'm definitely not a Braxton Miller fan. I don't think he's. I don't think he's a quarterback. I really don't. He. he uh, he's a great athlete. Though. He's. He's a heck of an athlete. There's no doubt about it. He could be a running back, in my opinion, and I'm sure he can be a quarterback. But I just, I'm not a fan of him personally. And that, maybe that's some bias against Ohio State, but and the fact that UK offered him and didn't get him, which you can say that about Taj Boyd too, but. You know those those guys are different quarterbacks. I'd take Taj Boyd in a heartbeat. I don't want Braxton Miller as a, as my quarterback. I really don't. The Watkins kid, the receiver for Clemson, was obviously banged up in that game. Sammy Watkins, and he goes out and, and he, he runs one of the best routes in college football. I mean, I just think his his route running was unreal. Great hands, and he didn't have his speed. No, just, I mean, if he has his feet underneath him all the way, that kid's that kid's very talented. There's no yeah. doubt about it. And so. So that sets us up for what now is, you know, this the Dream Quarter Bowl bowl. Auburn taking on Florida State for the national championship. I was feeling pretty good going into this bowl season that Auburn would be able to, you know, they're gonna run the ball and they're gonna be able to hopefully control the line of scrimmage and keep it close. And I think if Auburn keeps it close, they got a good chance. Seeing how these bowl games are shaking out, it makes me wonder, man, Florida State might be just way too good. I mean, I, I'm I'm wondering when Texas A&M and Duke is as close as it was, and maybe I'm reading too much in those scores, but we're, this is still an Auburn team that was pretty ho hum last year. Start of the year, unrate, unrated, unranked. Yeah, and Florida Out State top twenty five completely. Florida State was really good last year, you know, minus a couple, you know, uh, late decisions. They they could have been right there in the national title pictures. So. I, you know what do you what do you make of this game? I keep going back and forth, and it's hard for me. I've got a little bit of bias because I love Auburn. That's one of my favorite places to to visit. It really is, and I've got good friends that are leaving to go down to uh, to hopefully roll some toilet paper over Tumor's Corner uh, after the game. So I'm torn on this. I really I don't think uh, Florida State has ever seen a running attack like this, and I think they're going to struggle with it. I think they're going to struggle mightily, just like Alabama did. The difference to me is you saw that Alabama's corners were suspect in that game. And so I don't think Florida State's corners are suspect. Yeah. I think Florida State has a great secondary. And I 
think that could be the difference of why they're able to maybe maybe slow that down just a little bit. But I think if if turnovers are not a factor, I think Florida State's a better team, and I think Florida State will win uh, probably by between seven, five, ten points, somewhere in that range. But I think if turnovers become a factor, if if Florida State gets in third and long and lets those speed DNs get get back there for Auburn, then I think it's I think uh, Auburn could really have a good shot at, at pulling it out because they are the team of destiny. I mean, they uh, they definitely have had some just unbelievable wins here recently, you know, just unbelievable finishes. And you would think that the running team that they are, that they would have trouble playing from behind and getting back in the games. But, man, if they have two guys that for, have rushed for over 1,000 yards on your team is incredible. Um, you know, I just I, – I think that Auburn uh, – I think the Mason kid's unbelievable. I think he's an unreal running back. I don't know if he's the best player in the field, though. I think Jameis Winston is uh, – I think he's the, the man of destiny with this team. He's the best player on any field right now. Uh, and But the one thing that makes me wonder is, like, what happens when Florida State really finds himself in a tough tough game, in a close game? That's going to be the, the deciding factor, I think. If Florida State handles it well, because I do I do believe – you mentioned Auburn having 2,000-yard rushers. But if you look at their their spread past that, when you look at their passing game – they have one receiver, Sammy Coates, who's got 900 yards receiving, and then they have nobody even close after that. Yeah, the next guy it's is, all spread. is Lewis with uh, like 200. Yeah, they've got yards. 200 yards between like the next five receivers. So they spread the ball around very well, but obviously those guys are not making big plays. And that Ricardo Lewis, he, his, I mean, 70, 75 yards of his receiving is that one catch against Georgia. Yeah. So take that with a grain of salt too. He's obviously, he's physically a big, talented wide receiver, but he's, he's not catching a lot of balls. Yeah, almost half of Marshall's passing yards have gone to Coates. Yeah, I mean, and that's 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 hard to do. That's hard to do against a defense that has that much NFL talent because that's an NFL type setup. They're going to take away one receiver, and they're going to make the other ones beat them. And Florida State has the secondary to to kind of roll people around in coverage and do that. Yeah, so they get they get they take the secondary, they shut down Coates, try to get the other you know maintain the other guys. That front seven can really just concentrate on the run, the run game. But that's the first play. The problem with Auburn and the same it's the same problem with against Johnny Manziel. They've got to defend two plays. They got to defend the play call and they got to defend the second play if it breaks down. Right. And that's where Marshall could end up causing problems for them. Is as soon as he starts running, if he's got space, then he could find the open receivers. Yeah, because uh, Marshall is their second leading rusher, so he's the he's the thousand yard rusher behind Mason. So it would be. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Mason, to me, though, is just such a special talent. I mean, it's one thing when you go up against top talent every week and you're like, we're going to hand the ball to this guy and he's going to run all over you, and then it happens. I mean, the show he put on against Alabama and the show that he put on against Missouri, was it was unreal. He's a lot better than I ever thought he was. He really, I was, I was a little skeptical. They moved Kyle Frazier to safety from quarterback and, and – this kid comes in and wasn't sure how he was going to be. He's talented, and, and and I think that's you know Auburn has some intangibles obviously going on this year that could could make the difference in this game because it's hard to fight momentum. But if uh, Florida State comes to play, it's it's going to be hard for them to win that game. Okay, so we're uh, we're reaching towards the end of our show. Uh, we still have no decision from Charlie Strong officially. Um, you know, the looks reports are still saying that he is. Uh, going to accept the deal if offered, but there's there's obviously some sort of hang-up, and uh, it's going to be interesting to find that out. 
Matt Elam now decisions on the wing. It's going to be a very interesting football weekend in January in the Bluegrass. And uh, we hope that you tune in back next time. Thanks for joining me, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Mike and Doffo sign out of the Weekend Sports Buzz. We'll see you in three weeks. Bye. We'll be right